So if you have a Bible with you, please do have it open to Mark chapter 15. And as we read, we remember this is God's word. Immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus, led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, it is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. But still Jesus answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Now, as the feast, he, now at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him, whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them. And he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Amen. And we thank God for this reading from his truth. Well, before we come to think about these verses together, let's commit our time to God. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we praise and thank you for the holy scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. We thank you that in the Bible you teach us about yourself. You teach us what duty you require of us as your people. And we pray that you would help us today to learn and to understand what it is that you are saying to the church through these verses in Mark chapter 15. We pray for the illumination in the power of the Holy Spirit that we may understand and believe what it is you're teaching us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was good to have uh, Reverend Patterson here last week. Um, It was a real joy for me uh, just to be able to sit as uh, part of the the congregation here and and not have to be in the pulpit, to sit under the preaching of God's word, to be built up in faith through the power of the Holy Spirit, to know the grace that God has for us, that Jesus died in our place as the sacrificial lamb of God. It was a joy. But I have to say that I had a wee bit of a worry during the children's address last week. 
children's addresses are funny old things. Um, I'm sure uh, one of the things that you as a congregation love about a children's address is you never know what the children are going to say. And I learned uh, an important lesson about this when I was doing a placement in Drumgooland Presbyterian Church. Some of you know uh, Drumgooland. It's over in the Dramara Hills, just near Monaslane. After I'd finished the children's address, I said, would it be okay for me to pray for you now? And one of the boys said very quickly and very loudly, no. Ever since then, I've just tried to announce that we're going to pray instead of asking for permission to pray. And so I was a wee bit worried last week whenever the Reverend Patterson produced the word substitute and asked the boys and girls if they knew what it meant. I've heard of a minister asking that question before and one of the children responding, it's somebody who's not good enough to make the starting team doesn't really fit with the idea of Christ as our perfect sinless substitute does it it is we who are not good enough Jesus is more than good he's perfect in our passage today we have this idea again of Jesus as a substitute very clearly demonstrated we've just read about this man Barabbas And Barabbas was condemned to death because he was a murderer. And yet, he went free. He went free because Jesus died in his place. The innocent Christ taking the place of the guilty Barabbas. That's the central point of our passage today. The king for the criminal. And in a moment, we're going to look at that. But before we get there, I want us to think about how Jesus, how the only perfectly innocent and good person ever to live, how did he end up being condemned to death? Well, Jesus was condemned by Pontius Pilate. If you can, I want you to think about the Apostles' Creed. Uh, some of us will be aware of the Apostles' Creed. We've, we've actually recited it as a congregation before celebrating the Lord's Supper on one occasion. It is a very, very old confession of the Christian church's faith. If somebody was to deny any part of the Apostles' Creed, well then, really they couldn't call themselves a Christian in any real sense. And there's a section in the Creed about the Son of God. And in there it says that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and suffered under Pontius Pilate. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. I think it's very interesting. Why is it that when the early church fathers were formulating the creed, why did they include Pontius Pilate? Why not say Jesus was betrayed by Judas Iscariot? Or he was denied by Simon Peter. What what is it about Pilate? Well, I think there's a couple of things. I think the first is that it, it situates the Christ event in the history of this world. It it places everything that Jesus ever said and did, his entire life and his death, it puts it in the history of this world. 
Jesus suffered under the hands of a Roman governor. A governor in the Roman Empire. And this man Pontius Pilate is spoken about in scripture and in other history books. If we were just to know the name of Mary, well, well, we would understand something very deep and theological about the incarnation of Jesus. But to the wider world, Mary was a nobody. Using the name of Pilate grounds the truth of Scripture in the history of this world. It's the same as we might speak of somebody living in the Victorian era. We use the name of Queen Victoria to situate it in history rather than just naming somebody's mother. And so the the use of Pilate's name helps to show the historical accuracy uh, and the fact of the events and the scriptures which record the events for us. But I think there's another reason why we confess that Jesus suffered under Pilate. And that's because, as we've just read, it was Pontius Pilate who condemned Jesus to death. Jesus stood on trial before the temple officials. We read about that in chapter 14. The chief priests, the elders, the scribes, they all held a trial for Jesus. And so far as they are concerned, Jesus has blasphemed. The evidence points to the contrary, but these men think of Jesus as a blasphemer. But they can't kill him. They have no place, they have no right to put Jesus to death. And so instead, what they do is what Jesus himself has predicted they will do. What the Old Testament prophesied they will do. The Jewish leaders hand the Messiah over to the Gentile authorities. Look at verse 1 of chapter 15. You'll notice it's immediately in the morning, another of those time markers, and we'd mentioned those a a number of weeks ago. We're still waiting for the coming of the Son of Man. Before the coming of the Son of Man happens, Jesus has said himself, he is to be handed over, he's to be delivered into the hands of the Gentile Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. Now, Pilate was no friend of the Jewish leaders, He was a cruel and a harsh man. In other history books, he's spoken about as stubborn and arrogant. Some of the things he did, well, he he took money from the temple treasury in Jerusalem to fund a Roman aqueduct. He he also held parades uh, of Roman soldiers into the temple in Jerusalem with banners proclaiming that Caesar is Lord. Now, if the Jewish leaders were looking for blasphemy, there it is right in front of them. That's really offensive to the Jewish leaders. But what they did was they made a choice. And they took the oppression of Rome over the peace that only could come from the Messiah of God. They delivered Jesus into the hands of Pilate. A slightly altered charge from what they had come up with. Jesus' claim to be the Son of God wouldn't have been enough for Pilate to condemn him. So they told Pilate that Jesus' claim was that he was the king of the Jews. That's a much more direct threat to Pilate, to his rule and reign, and, and to the, the opposite. It's in, in opposition to the rule of Caesar. Pilate was the only one 
who could condemn Jesus. He is the one who could bring the death sentence. But as we read through the account, I hope you noticed, Pilate doesn't have grounds for execution. He doesn't want an uprising. He, he wants to maintain peace. And especially at Passover, Passover is a common time, was a common time for, for high tensions in Jerusalem. And so what does Pilate do? Well, he comes up with this plan. What if I pardoned Jesus as is the custom? But again, the chief priests don't allow that to happen. Pilate gives the people the chance that Jesus would go free, but the priests stirred up the crowd so that he should release Barabbas to them. You see what's going on here? Verse 14. Pilate said to them, what evil has he done? Pilate couldn't find any charge, but they cried out all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them. And he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Pilate wasn't acting alone. But it was he who finally condemned Jesus to death because he was the one with the power to do so. He didn't bring the charges and he didn't seem convinced that the charges were justified. It's quite clear that Pilate has found no wrongdoing but wanting to gratify the crowd, Pilate delivered Jesus to be crucified. He isn't the one who drove the nails into the hands and feet of Jesus, but it was done at his command. I think there's some of this in us. There's a challenge to us in this passage, especially, I think, in those few words, wanting to gratify the crowd. What is it? What is it that we have done in our lives in the past weeks or months that we have done to gratify the crowd? What have we done to require the nails being driven into Christ's body? Not him, how deep the Father's love for us has some words in it which are very true. It was my sin that held him there. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice. So often the sin that Jesus died for in our lives is the sin of trying to please the crowd. Trying to please other people rather than living for the truth of the scriptures. One of those takes great courage. Capitulating is, is easy. And look, I know that this is difficult, especially for young people, perhaps. I know that there are pressures that come at you from all directions. The pressure to fit in. The pressure to be like everybody else. I know that's real. It's real for the adults in the room too, isn't it? I have felt it in my own life. From the rugby changing room to the school staff room. I'm sure the 
The school gates are no different. I'm sure the seal yard is no different. The pressure that we are put under in this life to to conform, to, to be like everybody else, to gratify the crowd. Well, it's real from the playground to the nursing home. Failing to stand up for a biblical worldview. Laughing along as God's name is used as a swear word. Saying and doing things which gratify the crowd. Instead of honouring the truth of God's word. We all have the sinfulness of Pilate in us. We all face the temptation to go with the crowd. But I want to say very clearly that there are other true words in that hymn as well. Pilate didn't know it, but he was being used as an instrument in the hands of God Almighty that day. He condemned an innocent man to death, but in God's wonderful plan, it was as that innocent man went to death that our sin was upon his shoulders. His dying breath brought us life. I know that it is finished. And so there is no guilt and there is no condemnation for those who trust in Jesus by faith. And so while I really hope, I I do hope that, that there are people here today who feel the conviction of your own sin as you hear this passage, as I have felt the conviction of my own sin this week. But I hope that in your conviction, you will turn to Christ in repentance. And you'll know that he has died in your place so that the guilt and grime of sin no longer belong to you. They've been washed away. They've been washed away in the blood of the Lamb. That brings us to our second point today, that Jesus took the place of Barabbas. As the Reverend Patterson pointed out last week, this is an incredibly important aspect of Reformed theology. It's a central aspect of the gospel. Jesus, as the sinless Son of God, died in the place of sinners. And Barabbas just gives us this real-life illustration of what can be true for each one of us. If we admit our sin, if we repent and believe in the death of Jesus on our behalf, Well, then we can be set free. We can be set free just as Barabbas was. Barabbas has an interesting name. It can be broken down into two parts. Bar, meaning son of, and Abbas, or Abba, which we know is an Aramaic term for father. We heard Jesus use that in the prayer he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so Barabbas literally means the son of the father. The son of the father. Now we don't believe that there are coincidences in the plan of God. This is not a coincidence that this man is called the son of the father. Barabbas represents all of us. All people who have been born of the will of man. Those who have an earthly 
father. All of us who have descended from Adam by ordinary generation and share in his sinfulness. The only person ever not to be born in that way is the man who took the place of Jarabbas, of Barabbas, Jesus Christ, the son of God, the son of a heavenly father. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So there's an amazing truth displayed in this man's name and the fact that he died in our place. Jesus is the son of a heavenly father, perfect and sinless, not having inherited sin from Adam. He died in the place of Barabbas, the son of the father, representing the truth that for all of us who have been born of an earthly father, those of us who have been born of the flesh, Jesus died in our place. Each one of us here today, we are Barabbas. We are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. But Jesus died in our place. So that if we believe in him, we should not perish. But like Barabbas, we can be set free. If we accept that Jesus died on our behalf, we can be born again. We can receive Christ and receive the right to become children of God. Through faith in Jesus, we can become sons and daughters of the living God, the true heavenly Father. And like Barabbas, we can be set free. I want you to hear that good news today. By trusting in the death of Jesus, we are set free. It's freedom. The Christian life is freedom. We no longer have to justify ourselves. We no longer have to hold on to the guilt that we feel over our sin. We no longer have to try and earn our salvation through good works. The truth of Christ's death on our behalf sets us free. Friends, we don't need to live in fear of death. Death does not rule over us. We are free. In Christ, we have been born again to new life. And this is a new life which is everlasting. It goes through death and onwards to greater and better things on the other side. In Jesus, death is taken from us and we are given everlasting life. We don't need to live in shame. We're set free from it. Shame over sin. It doesn't rule over us. We are free. In Christ, our sin has been punished once and for all. And so we don't live in guilt or shame. We live in the freedom of Jesus' sinless perfection. Our sin has been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And we are gifted with Christ's righteousness. We're given the gift of Christ's perfect record. Think about it like a bank account. It's not like God has brought our account from the red up to zero and now we have to try and earn more and more credit. In Jesus, our account has been filled to an infinite amount in the black. So when God looks at you today, He sees the infinite righteousness of his son whom he loves. 
In Jesus, the guilt is removed and you are made a child of God. We're also no longer ruled by a desire or a love for sin. We are free from the desire to sin. Instead, God has sent his Holy Spirit into our hearts to make us love his law and his word. That's what we've heard in our assurance of pardon this month, that God has written his law in our hearts and in our minds. Those of us who have been using the family devotionals over the last couple of weeks, well, we've seen this. A believer loves God's truth, meditates on God's word day and night. Some more verses from Psalm 119. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Isn't it our experience as Christians that that God gives us a passion for his word, a, a desire to follow his commandments? In Adam, we are ruled by sin. We are not free. We can do nothing but sin. In Jesus, we are free. We are set free to keep the law of God. That is wonderful news. And so Jesus, Jesus' death in the place of Barabbas demonstrates this wonderful truth of the Christian faith. He is our substitute. He takes our death, our guilt, our desire to sin And in their place, he gives us life and sonship and a desire to please our heavenly father. I want to wrap things up by finally mentioning the crowd very briefly. We've thought about the challenge of the actions of Pilate, but the crowd gives us a challenge as well. Everything that I've said in the last few minutes is true for those who trust in the Son of God, who trust in Jesus. But you'll notice that the crowd condemn themselves. The crowd prefer the Son of the Father. They prefer Barabbas. They choose Barabbas over Christ. And in doing so, they bring judgment upon themselves. Those here who have not yet trusted in the death of Jesus on your behalf. If you're here today and that's you, can I urge you not to choose Barabbas? Don't make the mistake of the crowd. Throughout Mark's gospel, the the crowd have shown us what faith in Jesus looks like. But now at this crucial moment, they turn away from Christ. And instead they choose Barabbas, the man of this world. They choose the man of the world rather than the man of heaven. The true son of the father, Jesus Christ. I want to urge you not to make their mistake today. Choose this day whom you will trust in. Barabbas or Christ. Let me pray for us.